This past Thursday, our Pray and Go team met, and what we discussed was we assigned roles. I was the director. Joanne was the uh, email responder, and uh, Jim was the map coordinator. And we chose a door hanger design after much conflict and people liking this door hanger, some liking this one. And so we wound up choosing number two, I think it was, after we bent some arms and anyway. We discussed the do's and don'ts in our group. And then we had pray time for the ministry. So what I want to do today is I want to discuss pray and go. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, particularly looking at verses 8, 12 through 14. There's that 1010 train. Used to get used to that 1010 train when we were outside doing worship. It'll go a couple more times and then I'll get started. Um, the book of Acts written by Luke. It is basically the formation of the New Testament church. So it, it, it covers the history of the beginnings of the church. And a lot of the epistles were written at certain points during the book of Acts. Most people don't know that. But uh, any, anyway, it's a very historic book and it's, it starts with the founding of the church. And we've all heard the great commission uh, that is, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, teaching them, baptizing them, and so forth. But this is the actual beginnings of that. This is the actual beginnings of the New Testament church. So it's rich with history. And I want to look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. <clears throat> First of all, the mandate here is to go. It's never to sit. And we are called to go and we begin with power. Now Luke writes, But, when, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That is a promise. This is in light of what went before it. And the disciples and those that were with Jesus. Lord will it be at this time. That you are going to restore the kingdom. And Jesus responds. He said to them. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. That has been fixed by the father. By his authority. So the disciples that were gathered there listening to the resurrected Jesus had their focus wrong. They thought that when Jesus came, he would restore the, the kingdom now. And so Jesus says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is up, has come upon you. You will receive lambano. That's the Greek word there, lambano. And it means to receive an object based on the initiative of the giver. But the focus of lambano 
is the transfer. So if you have it this way, you have Theos, the God of creation, the God who gives life, sustains life, and by the way, every breath that we breathe right now is by the mercy of God. So you have Theos who takes the initiative. He takes the initiative, sending down the helper that Jesus promised. And so this helper will come upon us. When that happens, the person becomes born again. There's this power that we're going to receive when God gives us that Holy Spirit, dunamis. And that has seven different meanings, but here's the issue with this one. Power is the ability to perform an activity. Many of us forget and I loved what we went through Wednesday night with the Wednesday night crowd we don't fight for victory we fight from victory we already have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us we have the dudamis he has given us this great God who took the initiative to come to this earth to walk a sinless life to take that sinless life put it on the cross pay for our sins, die physically as, a, as, a, as God's wrath was poured upon him, died, buried, rose from the dead, and now reigns at the right hand of the Father. That God took the initiative to invade our lives with this Holy Spirit who gives us power. I'm probably going to butcher this name. I've practiced it all week. Lasha Talahakse. It's a famous Russian weightlifter. In fact, he's lifted the heaviest amount recorded in weightlifting. 489 pounds. Now the question is, wow, he's really strong, but how did he get that way? Well, there's a lot of training. And the only way that you build your muscles is from an outside force pressing down on you. And as you continue to get stronger and stronger and stronger, you are able to lift more and more. But you have to have that resistance. You have to have a weight pressing against you. And God says, I have sent my Holy Spirit. It will come upon you. It will be inside you. It will give you deutomies. Whatever you need to do in your Christian walk, I will give it to you so that you can, are able to perform anything that God tells you to do. Many times we forget that we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. This outside force is the hagios pneuma. And the two words there, hagios, holy, pneuma, spirit, means the divine spirit. Think of that for a minute. Think of that. I've often wondered... Remember when Mary was impregnated with the Son of God? I often wonder if that was a foreshadowing of God coming inside of us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have, think of this, we have the eternal God in the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us 
and brothers and sisters, I have seen people, Christians, do amazing things. And you say, well, where does that strength come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit and God's presence. You can do great things too. This Holy Spirit, when it comes into our hearts, and this is in Ephesians 1.13, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, hearing and belief. Hearing you believed, you were marked, and some translations, which I like better, sealed in him with the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Those seals that Paul mentions here in Ephesus were seals on buildings, and they were, you couldn't remove them. They were massive seals. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. When that Holy Spirit truly comes into your heart, you are saved. And with that salvation, one of the benefits is you do not walk through this Christian life alone. You have this power, this dunamis, living inside of you. So when he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, it really is in conjunction with what, he, what Jesus says next. Mission. And you will be my witnesses. Ami. You will be. Ami. That ami means to possess certain characteristics. Certain characteristics being a witness, martos. So when we read this, we look at you will be. It's definitive, obviously. There's no wiggle room. There's no saying, well, I don't want to be a witness. I've trusted in Jesus Christ. There's the old argument. Jesus is my Savior, but not my Lord. That is a very foolish argument. Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Lordship of Christ rules over your life. So uh, here we read, and you will be. Once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Martos, one who testifies to the truth or to facts. In every criminal trial, both sides, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, they will call witnesses let's just play with this for a minute you see the witnesses face here he doesn't look too happy because he's being cross-examined maybe something like this you said in your testimony that you saw him commit the crime at 1013 even though the room was dark and you can't remember what you had two days ago for dinner. But you can remember that exact time. That's the kind of cross-examination that takes place. Now, some witnesses shine, right? Some witnesses, their testimony is impeccable. Some witnesses crumble on the witness stand where their testimony they didn't tell the defense attorney or the prosecutor something about their life that might have made a difference, but they crumble under the weight of it and their testimony is excluded. Jesus says we're to be witnesses. Since we have the Holy Spirit living, living in us, we should be good witnesses, not bad witnesses. And 
that's how the gospel will grow. It's by us, not, not directly by us because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But let me ask you a question this morning. How's your witness? How's your witness with your friends, unsaved friends? How's your witness into the community? How, how is your witness in general? Is it a good witness? Or do you crumble under the weight of maybe possibly persecution or uh, just sin? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, and there's two ways that you can be, either a good witness or a bad witness. Now, he goes on here to write, in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the epicenter of the start of the gospel is Jerusalem. It would be in the upper room. This would then spread to Samaria and the other and Judea and the other most parts of the world at that time was the Roman Empire. It would spread outward, but it started in Jerusalem. That's the epicenter. Um, let me say this: that that mission is still ongoing. This is our epicenter, Tolono. And we are to go out into Pesodum, Philo, Savoy, Sidoris, Sydney, Champaign, and that's it. That's as far as we go. We continue. That's, this is our mission. We start here. This is why I've decided pray and go. We'll start right here in Tolono, and we will not rest until every door has been encountered with a hanger. And then we will go from there. And I don't know how long it will take, but we're going to put those door hangers out. We've got, well, now I think it's uh, 11 people that are going to be doing this now, so it'll be good. We're going to have a map back there in the back on the left side as you exit. And we'll mark the areas in which we have traveled. And you can see that every Sunday. So, <clears throat> this must have been some good news for the disciples, even though initially their focus was off. But how is this done? How is this done to go out, to be witnesses? Well, witnesses, wherever you go in your Christian life, you go to the grocery store, be a, be a witness. Just do good things. Be a witness. Have people ask, why, why do you do this? And it doesn't even have to be something that's, that's big. Uh, I think it was Friday night. I was at Walmart, and I was, my, was moving my cart, and I was looking down the aisle, and two college girls, apparently, they had U of I stuff on, were looking up on the top shelf. And I knew they couldn't reach it, so I said, you girls need help. And I, I got up there and, and got it for them. Just little things. It didn't have anything to do with salvation, but getting that type of mindset where we do good things for people, be good witnesses. Here's a real simple thing. If you make a mistake, own it. Just say, I messed up. I should not have done that. I am a believer. You don't know what that will do for somebody. Wow. People do not like to apologize today. Have you noticed that? In fact, they're getting ruder 
and ruder as days go on. So how do we do this? If, if, if we are called to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and Tolono, and spread out, how does that happen? Well, look at verse 12. It's undergirded by prayer. Now you'll notice in verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This is the view of the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem. So they would have traveled that distance back to Jerusalem. That's not very far. Then Luke adds, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Sometimes I get maybe too deep into the studies, but uh, the Sabbath obviously is Sabbaton or Shabbat. That's what it's called. Uh, It starts at sundown on Friday and it goes to sundown on Saturday in which you would, the Jewish people, would light candles and they would have braided bread. By the way, I'm thinking about doing a Shabbat coming up in the near future just because of my studies here on this. But it would be braided bread and and they would say a prayer and this is the prayer that they would say as they blessed the the. The, the bread, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, sovereign of all, who hallows us with mitzvot, commanding us to kindle the light of Shavat. It would include three meals. There would be wine or grape juice. There would be the braided, and then there's a list of things that they could go. And then it would always close with reading of Psalm 126. So the question is, what is a Sabbath day's journey? Well, it's 2,000 cubics. The question is, what is that for us? It's about three quarters of a mile. That's as far as you could walk on Shabbat. So that means Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown, the most you could walk was three quarters of a mile. And that's why Luke said it was a Sabbath day's journey. And you can see that's about three quarters of a mile. And when they had entered, this is as they walked from Mount Olivet to Jerusalem, This is verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Uh, This is the foyer. As you walk into this, they've identified this, or at least believe that this is the site where the upper room was. And as you walk in and turn to the left, You come out that door, and this is a nice big area. So as they left Mount of Olives, or Mount Olivet, however you want to word it, they came to this spot, and we do know from 
the book of Acts that there were 120 people. Also, we read here in verse 13, Peter, John, and James. Those are the three leaders of the early church. And Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Zelotes. And this is an interesting word, uh, Zelotes. It, it refers to nationalism. So this Simon the Zealot was one who was seeking to free Jerusalem from Rome. They were zealots. I think we need more zealots today. We need to free the church from the world views. We need to become zealous for Christ. Well, here's the list. Luke 6, which is almost parallel to this, with the exception of Judas Iscariot. He was the one that betrayed Jesus, but you can see the names up here. These were all gathered. These were all gathered. They were staying there, obviously. 120 or so were in that upper room. And by the way, if you Google that upper room, you will see that there was plenty of room for well over 200. So they were all up there. Just like you all are here today. They were gathered to worship God and to praise Him. You could say today, this is our upper room. We are gathered here today to worship Christ. That's what they did. Then, there was unity. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. I thought about putting a Honda Accord up there and talk. That's not what they're talking about. They were one accord, homotheodone, one mind, one mind. There is one spirit, one God, one creator of us all. They were one mind. They had the same focus. They didn't have different thoughts. They didn't have different ways of doing things. They didn't argue about the color of the carpet. There wasn't carpet, obviously, but they didn't worry about the pillars. They didn't say, you know, I don't like the way her hair is. They, they didn't do any of that. And churches get messed up when we start focusing on things that are not important. Let's not major on minors. Let's major on majors. They were in one accord. They were all together. They were all thinking the same. Listen, you can't do anything. A church cannot complete the mission if we do not have unity. Thankfully, our church is unified. Carlos Rodon. He's on my fantasy baseball team, by the way. Just want to let you know that. I picked him up about a week and a half ago, and I said, well, he pitched. You only get eight pitchers for the, for the week. So I have nine pitchers on my pitching staff, which, by the way, I'm in first place. So, Just want to throw that out there, challenge. Carlos Rodon, I said, you know what? He had one good outing. I want to wait and see what he does. Boy, did I make a mistake. He threw a no-hitter and missed a perfect game by one-hit batsman. 
I had on my bench 37 points. This was the celebration afterwards. He will start for me Monday in Boston. <laughs> He's had two really good outings. Collins, his catcher, will get a lot of the credit. Why? Because the pitcher and the catcher have to be unified. And you should have seen, if you watch the end of that game, the, the, the White Sox are really trying everything they can to keep that no-hitter intact including stretching way out there, guy possibly breaking his ankle to help that pitcher. They were unified. And I'm praying that he throws another no-hitter Monday so I can recover those points. They were unified. The team was unified, and he pitched a no-hitter. We cannot witness to the world when there's divisions in the church. When people are making minors majors, we can't do that. And here, here he writes that they were unified. All of these were one accord. They were devoting. This is interesting. You would think it means continuous or, and it does, in certain, in, in certain uh, context. Proskart Tarot. It can mean to be just continually, but here it means to stay close. To stay close in the sense of relational. Brothers and sisters, this is what we've got here. This is our family. We stay close with them, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in ministry, whether it's anything we do, we stay close, we stay unified, we stay focused. If one trick that Satan uses on churches is to get people thinking that this is something major when in fact it's a minor. I remember one cartoon years ago showed people all around a table, they were beat up, the tables were overturned, one guy was laying against the wall, his eye was black and blue from getting hit and he says the chairman is in the middle standing up saying so it's decided we paint the, san the sanctuary walls white <laughs> you can't you can't you can't do that none of us can do that I'll tell you what I need you to do at least as we get moving on this pray and go I need you to commit to praying for these 9-11 people that are going to be going out and I, I bet you we may not see any results initially, but sometime down the road we're going to start seeing some results. One of the things we don't want to do, and I talked about this with our group, one thing I don't want to do is to do this simply to get responses. One of the things that we need to remember is we need to fall in love with our community. We need to fall in love with the next door neighbor, the person that doesn't know Christ. We need to fall in love with the people that are struggling. That's, see, that's, that's the hard issue, is, is if we get a, a love for our community, a love for our coworkers, a love for our next door neighbors, and, and, and that love will eventually come out, just like you love your family and you do good things for them and you care about them, that needs to be projected on the community. So we need to do this with the right motives. 
we go out there and we say we're, we're, we love our community and we're praying for you. And if you have any needs, contact this email address. And as those email addresses, as they start coming in, which they will, we need to let them know that we are praying for them and if there's any way possible that we can help them, we, we want to. This, this can't just be another program where we see how many people we can get in. No, we're trying to do ministry. Yes, one of the side cart benefits of that is churches begin to see people coming in, but that cannot be our focus. Prayer, prosuke. Here's the thing about prayer. It's simply speaking to God. That's all prayer is. Prosuke. Lord, thank you for saving me, for loving me, for dying for me. And Lord, before I get to my I needs, I just want to take a moment and say that I love you. And I praise you. Do you know how good God has been to us? He has given us more than we can think or imagine. We need to start doing that before we get to here's my list. God cares about the list, but God also inhabits the praise of his people. We pray, say, Father, we're careful to realize that you have given us everything. And we owe everything to your goodness and your grace. Maybe Paul had this in mind when he wrote Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, that's us, with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together with one voice we may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the church is unified, I'm telling you, God can do mighty things here. And he is doing mighty things right here. I want you to think about some of the things that have been done recently. Pray and go started. We're adding kids to our trail life. I've got six leaders now to start the girls program. We've got People are going to join this morning, so now you have to. God is blessing us. We need to acknowledge that. We need to thank him. And this is how the early church rolled. They were in one accord, unified, praying. The church, when I was in the army, they used to say, the army marches on its stomach, meaning you've got to feed them. But the church marches on prayer. Please make prayer for this church and the ministries of this church a priority every day. Pray for me every day. And I think I know many of you do. Thank you. It means just a quick prayer. Please, Lord, tell Pastor Mike not to start Rodone on Monday. I don't know. <laughs> but pray. Just put it on the list. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, Pray for First Baptist Church. Pray for Pastor Mike. Pray for the deacons. Pray for the ministry. And then do your day and be a good witness. And when you mess up, tell somebody you messed up. I know it's something we don't like to do, but just do it. 
We are called to go. We are called to witness. And we are also called to go out and to show the community that we are unified. You want to do that this week? Let's get excited. Let's get out there and let's get ready to go and do this.